Dr. Craig Davies. Welcome back to Achieve Depth Radio. And today we have Dave Darbyshire on with us. We're at the World Golf Fitness Summit in Orlando, Florida. And we are so fortunate to have Dave join us because he is an absolute wealth of knowledge and he's extremely difficult to get a hold of. Uh, Dave has been in the game uh, probably before I have been in it, which is a long time now. And he started out in his home country of Australia working with Australian Rules Football and the prestigious Victoria Institute of Sport where he started working with some of the best golfers in their country. And that led to him working on the PGA Tour with such stars as KJ Choi, Adam Scott, and Aaron Badley. And all those players had their best years on the PGA Tour under the tutelage of Dave Dabrashir. He's not only a movement specialist, but he's a physical preparation coach. He looks beyond movement, which he is an expert in, but also taking a look at what is food and nutrition doing to your body? What is your environment doing to your body? What is water, hydration, all these different things that we can control? How is it affecting your ability to perform not only in athletics, but in your day-to-day -day life? This is an absolute treat. I'm really happy to have Dave Darbyshire on the podcast. This is Achieve Depth Radio. Let's get to it right now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Achieve Depth Radio. These are the leading experts in energy, nutrition, water, health and human performance, fitness and personal medicine. If you're looking to maximize your mental, physical, athletic and professional performance, these are the experts for you. Achieve Depth Radio, this is not what's now, this is what's next. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of Achieve Depth Radio. I'm Dr. Craig Davies, and today I'm joined at the World Golf Fitness Summit in Orlando, Florida, uh, with the one of the most uh, interesting men in the world, Dave Darbyshire. <laughs> Dave, <laughs> thanks for being here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, for those who don't know, I met Dave years, probably over a decade ago, well, way more than a decade ago, uh, out on the PGA Tour. Um, you are one of one of the original guys who made a living working with um, the most elite golfers on the planet. And you've worked with world number ones, you've just worked with all kinds of fantastic athletes. Um, you've moved from being on the PGA Tour to uh, working with athletes from other sports and living an incredible lifestyle in Hawaii. But I'm gonna start with uh, how you got on the PGA Tour and eventually transitioning into all the amazing things that you're doing that sure. I think a lot of our audience could benefit from learning a little bit about. Yeah, so uh, I was part of a, an institute in Australia that um, was fortunate enough and, and produced some pretty good athletes onto the PGA Tour at, at one time. Um, the likes of Jeff Ogilvy, Allenby, Appleby, Badley. You know, we had a good core group of guys that came out of that place. Um, and Vern, uh, the, my boss at the time at the Institute, had moved over to America working with a bunch of those guys and KJ Choi uh, approached him and said could he work with him and he said no but I may have someone and that's where the whole journey began. Uh, came over, I was a bit naive at the time, I think I was 25, really hadn't travelled that much, I was doing too much work. I showed up on the doorsteps of America with a one-way ticket. <laughs> So that didn't go down too well. Um, yeah. Excuse me, sir? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are you staying? I, I was. Uh, so I met with KJ and I ended up moving to Houston for five years to work with KJ. And then it uh, evolved to doing some work with Aaron Badley and Nico Hearn in that time. And then it just kept snowballing from there. I went exclusive with Adam Scott for pretty much the rest of my career on, on tour. 
um, and then sort of falling into different athletes at different times uh, while I was out there, which was nice. You know, broke up the rep- uh, repetition of just being on tour. Yeah. And had some fun experiences with some pretty cool athletes during that time. And during that time, I was I was going to Hawaii a bunch to to do some work and uh, met my wife, and now I moved to Hawaii. Yeah, and you've been there for a while now. Yeah, coming up seven years, so yeah, definitely not local, but uh, you know, local-ish. I know a lot of locals. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. So before you lived um, in Hawaii, you were living for a little while. I can't remember how long now, but in Aspen. Yeah, I was living in the valley in Aspen. Um, uh, it was just a, you know, I'd lived a bunch of different places around the U.S., um, San Diego, Seattle, and then I moved to Colorado and wanted to live in the mountains for a while. Uh, another pristine kind of place. And, yeah. you know, I've always been into my environments and I like nice places and healthy places. Um, so that was definitely one, and I, if not, maybe one of the, if not the top healthiest place I think I've ever been in in the continental U.S. Right, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's super clean. Uh, everything's just so nice. It's a good way of living. Yeah, and so, you know, you've always been, from what I've, you know, from my interaction with you, is one of the people who are are searching to find answers of how to improve either athletic performance with your athletes or to improve your ability to thrive as an individual, like health and wellness and um, all those wonderful things. You know, remember you guys were doing studies on players when you guys were out on tour, um, whether it was uh, hydration studies. Yeah, we did the hydration study. Yeah, and it was pretty startling how people were uh, more unhydrated than they expected, right? Uh, But you were doing things like that. And then you went into Aspen, which like you said, is a, a very healthy environment to be in. Uh, and now you're living in Hawaii. And can you explain some of the things that you're doing uh, while you live there to help improve your own personal um, health and wellness? Sure. Um, I've always been one for, you know, uh, kind of being self-sufficient. Uh, I, I kind of like to know where all my food comes from, Yeah. Uh, where my water comes from. Uh, I, and so I've definitely started my own, and I have a... I'm pretty lucky that I live on a coffee plantation. Yes. And pretty lucky that everything grows in Hawaii pretty easy. Mm-hmm. So I, I grow a lot of my own food. Um, I have a, a couple of different herb gardens as well as fruit trees and avocados and uh, coffee, everything. Um, so I have that type of stuff covered. And in terms of you know meat and fish, I kill my own venison, deer. We have a deer problem on Hawaii, so it's I would easy. never have guessed that. No, no, it's chickens. <laughs> I've seen the chicken problem. Chickens, chickens everywhere, and we have a chicken coop, so we get our own eggs, and that's kind of nice too. But yeah, we uh, randomly some guy flew three deers over from Molokai one year in his helicopter, dumped them on the Big Island, and now we have a now we have a deer. Start with three deer. Three deer, and so we have a deer problem now. So it's kind of nice you can go hunting. And then the other, I like to get my own fish, so I'll go fishing. Uh, so we try to cover all bases, and you know, I have a young family, and so I like to be able to provide and almost feel like I have to protect them now with everything, technology and so forth. Yeah. And so, you know, I wouldn't say I live in the jungle, but it's pretty close. Right. You know, and uh, so personally, I like to, you know, try to do as much as I can in a simple way of living. 
um, in terms of food and so forth. But I also have a couple of clients there that allow me to explore other means and, and kind of have you know a nice endless budget to do that to uh, explore performance and health and and wellness um, and that you know rubs allows to be rubbed off on me at the same time so we're doing some pretty you know crazy things over there that you know i haven't dabbled a lot in in the past yeah but definitely uh and doing now so yeah we some some really interesting stuff and it's fun it's yeah. fun yeah yeah, it's fun to be able to experiment on yourself where, where the things that you're experimenting on will have a lot more upside than downside. Absolutely. But I want to I go just for a second with your food because I, I, I think it's very, more so moving forward than ever before probably, is the importance that people start taking what they put into their bodies um, into their own control, right? Like Absolutely. You live in Hawaii, so that it is easier to grow food, no sure. question, than some people who live in an arid and uh, like a Scottsdale might have struggles growing some foods, mm-hmm. but they can grow other things well. But regardless of all that, what percentage of the food that you eat, not including when you're traveling, but when you're at home, do you feel like you're either hunting yourself, growing yourself, or like just self-sufficient? Uh, Percent-wise, I mean, I'm I'm pretty high. I mean, we have a lot of things covered. Um, especially, you know, I'm not a, I don't eat a lot either. You know, I kind of fast for most of the day during the day. Yeah. Um, so dinners, dinners mostly I can cover, you know, at yeah. home. So it's, the percent's quite high, 70, 80%. Yeah. Only if things aren't in season that I have to maybe go find something somewhere. But there's such a good community there that if one of the boys you know hunts and gets a deer then shares it Amazing. someone gets fish three fish then they'll share the mahi mahi you know yeah and it's it's quite a nice little community where you kind of look out for each other you know i just caught three fish i'm going to bring one over mm-hmm. and cut it up and give it to them and it just keeps going in a circle like that so it's I'd say a lot of the food and, you know, the food if I, I need to buy, the, we have two really good markets there that are all locally grown, all organic, all nice, no pesticides. We know where it all comes from. We know the people. And so we're pretty self-sufficient. And in saying that, you know, we're also looking at going in on a buying a block of land mm-hmm. purely to farm. Is that right? Yeah. So we have a couple of clients and he's interested in, in, in and one guy's interested in funding this whole project we'll find a local guy a local Hawaiian so he knows the seasons and the seasoning and how the food works and we'll employ him to grow a, a, an acre of food yeah um, and not just to supply us I mean there will obviously be surplus but for friends and, and so forth mm-hmm. um, as a way to really know where our stuff is coming yeah from. see that's that's a, a really powerful thing to be able to do because, as you know, there's so many companies out there that are absolutely poisoning our population with the food yeah, and horrible. how they treat the food, right? Yeah. It, it really is criminal. It is, it is criminal. Um, I mean, they're going to look back at this and they're going oh, to say this is criminal. For it sure. It just hasn't come out. No, exactly. Uh, that now. They need to, something needs to be drawn done drastically and i mean you need to take it on yourself because the money and the power of all these companies it's a big fight yeah but definitely if you i mean i've always said if you can get five to ten families together buy a block of land and you just share the expenses of of it all you can grow your own food and and you know especially if you have kids and you know i want my kid to grow up eating healthy yeah living a good lifestyle um you know it's hard to control all influences these days especially going to school and so but you know, if I can, 
if I can put 70% good stuff into him and he sneaks 30 at some stage, you know, that's better than giving him 100% processed, don't even know where my food comes from, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones and very fortunate, but I've always had that in me to try and be able to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. It's very... For me, getting in the dirt and in the garden is one of my favorite things. Yeah. No, there's, there's so many great benefits you get. You know, obviously... You're, you're aware of where your food's coming from. You have the ability by doing the gardening, you're doing the earthing, the grounding, whatever you want to call it. So you're getting the benefits of the energy uh, from the earth. You're outside getting the light um, sure. therapy. That, you know, you're stacking all these wonderful elements onto it. You have to squat to get down. Yep. You have to move your body through ranges of motion. So there's, there's, there's no doubt, you know, I, I grew up in Niagara Falls, Canada. It's a very strong Italian community there. And you see all these older Italians in their gardens doing the gardening work, and they still move really well. Absolutely. Every day they're doing it. Yeah. Um, so if, if, you know, if you've got someone who hasn't maybe thought about gardening um, or growing their own food, but after listening to this, appreciates that it's definitely possible for them to do it. Absolutely. I, Absolutely. Know, I know near me there's, uh, there's people or there's companies around the U.S. and Canada that you can do this in, and obviously in Europe the same. Uh, that give you the ability to do gardens in your, your own house. Like we have one system, uh, it's this tower system where you take the, the food that you're not using, right? Like so the, the stuff that's maybe rotted a little bit, you create a tea from it and you drop the tea down the middle of it and that feeds worms and different other bacteria oh, yeah. and stuff that's inside this tower that then break down and create new soil that you use yeah. to replant. Um, so even if you don't have space, there's things you can do. Sure. But is there any resources that you have found useful in kind of your journey that you think people might be able to, to look into? You know, for me, it's, uh, it's always been location. You know, I, I think farming is obviously different and growing stuff is so different in different locations. So for a while there, I was sourcing a whole bunch of Hawaiian farmers, uh, people who lived there for a long time, talking to them, how to grow taro, how to grow certain things, um, when to grow it. Right. Um, they obviously, you know, that, that's their business. Um, so I was, I was trying to source just local people to work out how to grow things locally. Yeah. Um, and that's, that, I, that's my advice to anyone. Use local farmers that, um, who have kind of been there for a while to understand that region and grow it seasonally you know things change over time and things only grow certain times a year so you know if you're trying to grow bananas or go to buy bananas and try to grow them at a time they shouldn't be grown then maybe if they're growing then there's something you should be asking questions yeah. about now the uh, the yeah that's the cool thing when you when you eat locally and you as you said you eat in season i think the the benefits that are really uh misappreciate or, or not appreciated to the extent that it should be in what that does to your body, right? Because if you look at people who do food sensitivity testing and all these different things, the things that you eat on a daily basis, eventually your body says, okay, I've had enough of this. Absolutely. And your body doesn't want it anymore. But people keep eating it because now we have the ability to go to a grocery store and get bananas from Ecuador mm-hmm. or, or wherever else that they sure. have them in that season. And the problem is your body at different times of the year is craving different, different nutrients. It's craving different foods. The variability in your food sources allows your body to thrive. And the problem is if you're not lo- eating locally or eating in season, you miss that. Yep. Yeah, definitely. There's no doubt about that. And 
if you if you shop from local farmers or learn from local farmers, then you're going to start getting those benefits. Or if you start growing in your own gardens and you've got the education from those local people, you're going to be forced to eat locally. So not only are you going to get the different foods, but it forces you to change and learn how to cook. Yes. Right. And that's that's so much fun too. Learning how to cook, learning how to put all these things together to make a really nice flavor. I enjoy that. I like the outcome. Yeah. Uh, and I, it's good. I. I have a young kid and I want him to learn how to taste and have real flavors, not manufactured processed flavors, which can be addictive, but I want him to be able to understand that, you know, this was a culmination of time and energy and flavor. And now we've got this beautiful thing and appreciate yeah. the food that, you know, we, we have. And my wife is big on that. She grew up in the jungle of Costa Rica. So, you know, they, She's always been very good at understanding that and loves it, how we can provide. And yeah, so it's, it's a, definitely a family thing for us. Yeah, I actually just got back from coast, that jungle in Costa Rica and my wife and I were like, how can we move here for part of the year? Oh. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, her family's all still down there. They have, a, they have an eco lodge down there. So they've had an eco lodge and they've sort of been down this route for so long. Um, they've got an eco lodge. It's been there 20 years and it was a cow paddock. And they planted a, a trees and it became a registered national forest. And you have to get there by boat. And it's absolutely beautiful. But again, they, they grow their own food yeah. and it's all in-house and it's, it's really well done. So it's, it's a nice lifestyle for us. Um, and then we get to explore and search with clients and bring all that together. Um, and we find some pretty cool stuff to do on the performance side of that too. Yeah, no question. No question. So, you know, one of the things we talked about yesterday... Um, was how you're using uh, different types of light yep. uh, to improve health and experimenting with that. So would you like to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, so we, uh, I have a contact in Australia, really a good uh, alternative medicine guy. Um, and uh, we, we were discussing and he, he basically built um, some red light beds, uh, but was able to take, and he researched this for quite a long time. He took all the studies ever done in red light therapy um, and infrared therapy and was able to spreadsheet it. And I have the spreadsheet and it's an incredible job he did um, <laughs> into frequencies, what worked, what didn't work. And he was able to build a, a seven mode uh, red light bed, which is the only one that we know of. Um, that can do have different frequencies for different things um, and we so we got one I've got a panel in my house we'll put one in a, a client's house and the uh, the difference has been dramatic for Is sure that right what yeah. kind of things have you seen definitely skin quality changes um, you know it takes the good part of UV obviously uh, but for us being out in the sun all the time, you know, you get kind of weathered, but the skin shine and the skin almost oiliness feels like it comes back. Okay. Um, so that's been really, really good. The health of uh, both of our eyes. So there's a, a mode for eyes and brain. Um, our eyes have got whiter and the colours have got stronger. Is that right? Yeah, so we've taken photos over time too to document this. No way, that's cool. To play around with all our little sequences and things that we're doing. But definitely red light therapy is uh, a, a way to go in the future, for sure. Too. Yeah. And you're starting to see, you know, people are starting to appreciate, you know, whether it's light or sound, um, just different energy frequencies and the benefits that the body can have and understanding how... Uh, the body works in a, in a physics more so than the last, you know, whatever, 100 years where we've sure. been so chemically derived yep. in our, our health, yes. so-called health. So we, we also play the, the same frequency sound 
at whatever the bed is set at. Okay. So we're getting both the light and the sound at the same time. Which, Amazing. Yeah, has a nice, nice feel afterwards. Yeah. You always feel very, very grounded once you get out of uh, the red light. Yeah, it completely makes sense. And so you, you know, you've worked with. Besides the golf, you've worked with people who are some of the top cyclists of all time. Yep. Um, what are some of the things you've learned from working with those athletes? You know, uh, I, I enjoy the crossover of athletes because I think, and people, because I think everyone has a story to tell and you can take certain things from. But that sport is, you know, you have quite, a, not a sedentary sport, golf, but, you know, there's six hours of walking for a yeah. little, little bit of nothing. Um, where cycling is, you know, you talk at the tour, you know, it's three weeks of basically going to hell. Just grueling. Yeah, grinding. And the body takes a toll. But I've watched that sport grow over the years, and they're doing some really cool things too. I, I noticed last year there was one team even to the point of uh, all washing their laundries. Uh, each, each rider on the team had their own washer and dryer. Really, and so over t- what they worked out, um, and they had no saddle sores or infection crossover. Ah, interesting. Which would take a lot of guys out of races on certain days. Um, so they had no crossover putting everyone's laundry together. So there was no sweat contamination or anything or chemical. Um, and see, I wouldn't even thought because that's not my world. I wouldn't even thought about. No, that. no. But I thought that was one of the really nice progressions. Simple, but it makes total sense. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if you need to do that with your own family sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no question. But cycling's a different beast in itself. All those endurance sports, uh, triathlon, um, you know, they're really, really interesting. That, And I, I don't know if it's healthy, you know. I look at those and it's just the stress on the body. And yeah. it's, a, it's a big stress. You know, you find that there's guys with more heart issues now these days because of the intensity they do all these activities at for so long. Yeah. The heart's not designed for that. You know, we were designed to walk for long periods of time, mm-hmm. sprint to get some food, not to go at those those levels for that long. So it's definitely no. a, a fine line between what you can and can't do and how to keep someone healthy. Yeah, no, I think uh, in a lot of cases, sport for for entertainment or just for like daily enjoyment you know you go pick up play pick up soccer or you play you know any of these you go to beach volleyball just for fun right those type of things or you know you do paddle boarding and those kind of sporting elements those have a lot of health benefits to it yeah but elite sport is not healthy <laughs> right? there is the no it's i i often think about it and try and find things that are, i think are positive and, I mean, obviously, it's a good lifestyle and it may be better than sitting inside of a job, but in, in other terms, it may not be either. Mm-hmm. You know, it is so stressful. And it's all those underlying little stresses that get to us eventually, the ones that we're not, you know, paying attention to that just float under the radar. Yeah. And elite sport, you know, you add a lot of stress to it. Yeah, no So you have those and that, and that's definitely not healthy. No, it's... it's you know, obviously you can go to from, you know, one obvious extreme where you're looking at head trauma in some of these collision sports, which is not healthy, but the training that's done for a lot of these sports, not even the actual playing of the no. sports, the training and, and preparing to go against other elite athletes really wipes the body out. It does. And, you know, I think it's all kind of ego driven a little bit, all that stuff, but it, it's only getting worse. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> there is only going to one way. It's more and more and more and more and more of that to, you know, as science gets better and people want to research and do other things, I think it's just getting a little bit away from maybe the fun aspect of why you eventually took it up and, and when it becomes a job, it becomes a stress, I guess. And that's yeah. just a different word for it, but it's a, a label that makes it kind of stressful. Yeah, no question. But it, it's unfortunately, and you know, it's been happening even since when I was playing sport, uh, when I was obviously much younger, but more so now, way, way more so now, where we are trying to take young athletes who should be enjoying the sport and trying to make them act and train as if, as, like you said, it's a job or it's they're professional. <laughs> when the reality is very few of them are gonna be professional athletes. Uh, we should encourage as many kids as we can to be playing sport and to move and to do all these wonderful things. But we create this stressful environment, especially in kind of semi-elite junior athletics, that kids are stressed oh. going to the compete. So they don't, a lot of kids don't even like going to, to play. It's no. just their parents are making them because they've taken the enjoyment out of the preparing for that sport the training for that sport and then the competing from that sport is no longer fun. No, it's not. No, and I mean, at that level, just the kids have to have fun. I mean, I, I remember when I was growing up, I just played everything I possibly could. Yeah. Only because I loved playing it and I never had, was put in any restrictions. I mean, I chose kind of baseball and cycling and surfing, but I mean, I played cricket, football, squash, you know, everything at a pretty good level, but it was all just fun. Yes. Um, yes. Now, and I think it's, you know, that's the whole concept of early specialization, isn't it? That you need to do this from, well, that doesn't even make sense. No. No, and the reality is there are very few kids, say they're 12 years old, 11 years old, 10 years old. The people who are elite at 10, 11, and 12 are definitely not necessarily the ones who are going to be elite at 18 and definitely not the ones that say you're going to be elite at 22. But we're starting to remove children from sport because they are maybe the 10th best mm -hmm. in the sport at, at, like, say, when they're 10 years old. Whereas at 15, if we let them keep playing, they might very easily be the best in that sport. But we don't give them that opportunity because we start measuring things at such a such young a age young now age. and deciding if someone's good or not good before they're even close to being physically mature. For sure. And I think that it's just the whole professional world has shifted down to kids, yeah. as you were saying. So they're trying to wean it out, but, you know, it doesn't really work that well. And what will happen is those kids who are good at 12 or 13, that, that's when they're good, rather than being good at 7 or 18 or 25 and 30. They were done by 17, 18, yeah. so they don't do it. Late developers get done by 24 because they've been doing it, but they get better a little later. And all sports are getting younger. But it just means they're going to get younger, but their lifespans are going to get shorter. Yeah. It just it can't happen any other way. It's the, the, the whole time frame of it all doesn't, doesn't equate. Yeah. No, and it's I, not healthy. No, I totally agree. And then, you know, we talked about this again. This is another thing we talked about yesterday, uh, some of the things that you're doing. But right now, it is extremely difficult for athletes or anyone to get good quality water. And so if you're drinking a lot of this bottled water that's out there, it's very acidic. It's really just tap water. Even if it's spring water, it's been in plastic bottles forever. They've got all these negative components of the water that they're taking. But you have gone 
and <laughs> put some attention into what you're drinking. True. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of hard on the road. Um, I can't travel with uh, what we get. But, yeah, I, I researched uh, water and through the same guy who I was talked um, about with the red light bed, um, we spoke about this for a long time. Um, hydrogen-infused water, and we found this company. It's actually based here in Florida that imports this water from Hungary. And this water is called light water or immaculate water. Uh, it's very different than normal water. And what it is is basically called low deuterium water. Uh, deuterium is one of the three isotopes found in, found in hydrogen. But uh, most water has a, a level of about 150 parts per million. Um, of deuterium. Of deuterium. Okay. Uh, our bodies run at somewhere between 110 to 130, maybe up to 140. So we're drinking basically water that uh, doesn't even match the water that's inside our system in terms right. of H2O. Um, we effectively drink D2O, which is high deuterium water. Um, so that masks H2O. So you never get the transportation of anything attaching to all these cells or, or hydrogen-infused cells. Uh, light, you know, how the light can't attach to it, nutrient, and so it doesn't doesn't work. So we were able to find this water, and that water is 25 parts per million. So we were able to work out a formula where we can di dilute it with uh, sparkling water and get it to about 110. And so we do that now, and that's all we drink. Um, it's very different, but the, the effects, that, again, with our red light therapy, some O2 work, and, and et cetera, um, the feeling is way different. Yeah. I, I'd never felt bloated ever, and I could drink this water all day, all day. Yeah. yeah. Which and when you drink terrible water, I'm not gonna name brands, but there's terrible water out there um, that when you drink it, first of all, you never feel hydrated. No. You know, I, there's guys, athletes that I work with, who come out and they've drank eight bottles of water, and they say they don't feel any more hydrated yeah, than they sure. did before they started. Um, they feel bloated because they've just consumed that much liquid and it's terrible liquid uh, and they just don't feel good. No. But, you know, when you were talking, you were saying that when you first tried this water, you thought it was a joke because you actually didn't even feel it go down your throat. No, I mean, usually you feel, you know, the coldness of water hit the back of your throat. I felt like I was drinking air. <laughs> I had to pour it on the table to make sure there was something in the bottle. So it's a really different, like it feels light, it feels fluffy, it, it feels like it's full of hydrogen, yeah. as, as it would. Uh, so it's a totally different feel, but I can only imagine, and I've been meaning to do some hydration studies um, and compare them. I'd, I'd like to compare them to someone on tour who would use this water. As now we can find, I can find someone to do that. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to the normal water, and then compare it back to kind of the studies we did early on. Uh, and even just relative to them. Yeah. I think it would make a huge difference in golf. I mean, it makes a huge difference for us. I've used it cycling, and oh, it, it was I didn't feel bloated drinking a whole... And I rode for like a good five or six hours. Nothing. I mean, I felt so good. Yeah. So there's definitely something to it. There's a, there's a guy who's created a machine that can do it. Um, we, we were going to explore getting one of those to try it. But right now, yeah, we... We just order our, our water from Hungary. Um, I don't. I need to look at the the leaching issue of plastic bottles because it comes in plastic bottles. I'm trying to get it um, where I can get it in glass. Yeah. Um, because I'm not a big fan of plastic uh, wastage, uh, and let alone drinking anything out of plastic. So that's my next uh, little adventure to try and get that company to switch the glass, or we just pay more 
yeah. for glass bottles. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, where you live now is an environment where you can get, uh, where it's been a struggle beginning of this year to get good quality air. Yep because you had volcanoes. We had the volcano going off here, it was pretty <laughs> crazy. It was like living in a smoke cloud. So yeah, that, uh, that was really interesting because it changed the mood of everyone. Yeah, it was noticeable, palpable. Yeah, no, it was crazy. It, so many more people were angry. Really? So, yeah, depressed. Like it really showed me the, the difference between the light effect of light sunlight and blue skies and nice water as opposed to dim light you know drowsiness gray and the effect of color and you should come spend some time with me in canada in the winter time where i lived growing up because it was gray for about 150 days in a row yeah i tried seattle for a while i couldn't do it um and then the vlog has stopped and the air quality is the best it's been in 40 years and i mean the the difference in people is in, incredible everyone's happy again it's nice and it's such a huge change and that's just one element of how that you're just looking at light and air quality light and air quality i mean yeah and i i mean again we go back to things that we control that affect air quality cars and all that type of stuff and you know that's not even healthy for us you know but sometimes you get born into your location which is tough and you don't have a choice but definitely looking at air, I, I put air readers on my house to read out air quality in, in, inside the house to try and, and yeah. see. I mean, our house is kind of a big Hawaiian old house, so it was, I wanted to try and protect my young boy as much as I could you know, with air purifiers. And I, I did studies, my own studies for months while this was going on to see how low I could get it while he sleeps. Uh, but it was really, really hard to block out outdoor uh, air getting into the house. I was able to get it down a little bit, but uh, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty gnarly there for a while. Yeah, not being able to see anything. Yeah, that must have been, and that's it's frustrating because that's an experience where you're going through where you don't know when it's going to end. No, and it, and that was the thing. No one knew. Um, you know, you had old Hawaiian elders say, you know, this is this could go on for years and months, and then you had geologists going, we, we actually just don't know. And then thankfully one day it just sort of stopped. And now it's it's one of I mean I've been to a lot of nice places in the world, but you know there's something very different about the Hawaiian Islands and them being volcanoes and energy flowing underneath, uh, good energy obviously, yeah. the birth that's being created, you know, powerful. That those islands just have something that's um, health-wise very very, very good special, for right? Yeah, and the ocean. I mean that ocean. We just do soaking sessions where we just go float in the ocean and just float around. I mean, yeah. you know, there's negative electrons in that in that water, but that water's alive. Yeah. We're 4,000 miles from anything. And so it's it's crazy powerful. No, no question. When, my le when I did my lecture, it was part of it was talking about the issue with current society being in essence uh, lacking in electrons, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's people like 10 year olds 12 year olds out there right now who have absolutely never touched nature. No. You know, they don't ever go out without shoes, so they're never connected with their yep. feet. Their parents told them not to get dirty, so don't play in the dirt. They've literally never touched the ground, never touched the water, never They live in cities, sure. and they're, we're starting to wonder. And that's, people might sound that thing that's crazy, but like I work to get outside and get barefoot and get in the ground. And there's times with the way my job is, and a lot of people have different jobs that are make it difficult. If I get it a half an hour, an hour, yeah. 
I like pat myself on the back, Absolutely. which is insane sure. because every other species is 100% of the time connected to nature. And so, you know, you talk about, you know, you're in that ocean water full of salt, which is a conductive source. You're, it's full of negative electrons. The power of that and how it connects your body and energizes it. You know, we look at autoimmune disorders and cancers and, you know, heart disease. So we, we know that when you're grounded, that the red blood cells um, have an increased zeta potential, with, which is the electric potential around the red blood cells. So they push themselves away and it thins your blood and it makes it less uh, have lower viscosity and decreases blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But most people, you're not touching it. You're not having the electron density. And that's one of the reasons we're getting chronic illnesses. Sure. So you going in... I'm glad you touched upon it because that's what I was going to ask you, not about the ocean, um, but how much time do you spend where you're just barefoot walking around um, doing your thing as humans really should be doing? I mean, this, uh, I felt weird putting shoes on to come here, <laughs> get on the plane. Um, I live a lot of my life in bare feet, uh, but bare feet on different natural surfaces too, like lava rock, sand, mm -hmm. you know, the bottom of the ocean. Um, so I get a full different even gardening sometimes I'll just go out barefoot yeah absolutely um, and I think that's it's really important I mean I can't you know I've been very lucky but I can't imagine not being around nature that's just it's really hard to understand that for me mm -hmm. uh, but definitely the ocean and that ocean in particular has something special about it I always tell people if you're not feeling well just come to Kona and go float for a while yeah it's, it's you feel amazing afterwards you know I put uh, I'm involved in a a centre that we're looking to build over there and all our spas, hot tubs, everything will be pumped in from the ocean. It will be ocean water. Amazing. Yeah, so people will be able to have hot tubs, but it will be salt water straight yeah, from yeah. the ocean. So that'll be, that's, a, that's something we're trying to look to do, which will be really fantastic if we can do that. Yeah, that's very cool. That's very cool. Yeah, the, uh, the lack of... So now in my lecture, I was talking about the difference in our bodies between electricity and electronics. Um, and electronics is the big thing that I'm interested in now, which is, you know, if you look at smartphones, those are based on electronics, low amounts of power, but mm -hmm. they can do incredibly sophisticated um, endeavors, mm -hmm. but with super low power. Yep. And that's inside our body. That's how, like, our connective tissue and all that works um, is based on electron transfer through the system. For you, you're getting homegrown, organic, nature-derived foods, uh, which are more alkaline, and all that means is they're more electron dense. Yep. You're getting ocean water, which is the most conduct one of the most conductive sources and most uh, densely rich sources of electrons. You're barefoot all the time, so not only are you getting the energy that way, but one of the things that I think is completely missed in orthopedics in Western world, especially with knee injuries, ankle injuries, hip injuries, and the chronicity that we're starting to see in the general population is that we all walk on flat ground. Well, for those of us who walk, yeah. <laughs> flat ground all the time, wearing the same shoes, and our feet are only having to go through the same motion every single step. So there's no variability of the ground causing more or less you know, supination, sure. pronation, dorsiflexion. The sensors in your foot aren't being activated like you would be if you're going on uneven surfaces, including lava rock yeah, or whatever. There's no adaptation at all. No, and, and so like one of the things I want to do is take a group of children 
and follow them for six years, right? So say you start in grade one, you finish in grade seven, and you have the one population who lives somewhere like here in Orlando, which couldn't get any flatter, right? It's just <laughs> insane. Uh, and then take someone from Asheville or somewhere where they're, they're sure. living in mountains and there's hills and yeah. all that kind of stuff, and they're doing outdoor hiking, and look at the ranges of um, ankle dorsiflexion, tibial internal rotation, hip range of motions, and see how it changes over the course of six, seven, eight years as you start to see the repetitive um, lack of uh, variability in the people who live in Orlando mm -hmm. compared to the constant variability of the people who live in mountainous regions or whatever, and just see how things start to change just in that short yeah, period of time. Yeah, I think that would be a good study. And I think you could even add it to... Uh, you know, someone comparing bare feet to people who wear shoes, and not, it's nothing to do with the ground, but the weight of the shoe. Right. It's it's, it's a weight that what we're not designed to be wearing. Even yeah. if it's so light, even if it's a minimalist shoe, it's still a, a load. Yeah. And so there has to be some kind of change over time with just picking the foot up off the ground. It's not the same as what it should be. Yeah, no question. Absolutely no question. Now, one of the things I want to talk to you about uh, because you grew up playing multiple sports um, for fun, as you, t as you mentioned, just things you wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, you surf, uh, I know you've been uh, paddleboarding, uh, et cetera, et cetera. What are some of the things that you're doing now? Like if, if you go through, say, three months, in the last three months, what are some of the activities that you've done? <laughs> well, a couple of mornings a week, I'll always do a movement session. Um, just usually with a client of mine we'll just explore different things um, Tuesday Thursdays uh, and this is these five sessions are kind of routine because I, I train someone and we but we do it together amazing uh, Tuesdays barefoot running uh, straight line sprints and then uh, we mix that up with uh, agility and change of direction on Thursdays okay so and the other days, days are just all different types of movement. We may do sand, uh, our gym program in the sand down the beach. We may go rock running. We may do sprints across lava rock. Uh, I mean, that's all. We all cover all those things. And then there's, uh, you know, <laughs> all the activities I do, surfing, paddleboarding, surf ski, paddling, fishing. Sorry, what did you say? What was that? Surf ski. Surf ski. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So, long surf ski. So we'll do that uh, pretty much every day. We do that for an hour and a half. After we train, we take a little break and go and do that. And then it's surfing, fishing, spear diving, diving, you know, anything that's in the water, that cycling, mountain bike riding, hiking, you know. Um, so a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff, yeah. And, that's, mean, and that's perfect because that's what I wanted to football, get to. Uh, we play touch rugby. Like yeah, yeah. We, we have a lot of stuff to do. So, like, one of the things that I, I try to get a message out, which a lot of people find strange because, you know, my background is, in, is as a trainer as part of it, and a lot of that's done in a gym traditionally, sure. right? But I think, and I've mentioned this in previous uh, podcasts, for me, the idea of training in a gym needs to be considered as a supplement to living a healthy, well-rounded, movement-oriented lifestyle, much the same way as taking a, for those people who take replacement shakes or yep. nutritional shakes, yep. that shouldn't be the foundation of your nutrition. That should be something you do because you have to, because you weren't able to do other things. Absolutely. You know, obviously with certain training, doing it in a gym when you're training for a specific sport or whatnot, there's definitely benefits to doing that. But for the average person, you know, I think the gym should be looked at 
as a supplement to a healthy movement-oriented lifestyle? Yeah, I mean, moving is the biggest thing. That's, that's ultimately what we were designed to do, um, is to move um, or lay down and chill and take a break. Yeah. Um, so anyone, you know, the gym for me is an interesting world, that whole world of going inside to exercise on a machine that you created to do this one little move. It doesn't. That does. That's not how we're designed, and what we're designed for at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's time. Some people do use it as a time constraint, but the gym for me should always be a place I go, and you, you kind of we're on the same path. Go to uh, that I may need to go restore or refix or f- do something to allow me to go back out and start to play again. Yeah. Um, and I just want to play. Yeah. I want to play in, with anything. Like just try it. If I haven't done it, like try go just try it and play around with it uh, but if i you know if i keep doing it over time my body may change okay i'll maybe go back and do a couple of these exercises in the gym controlled environment to allow me to go back out and play again yeah and that's how i think that and you're right that's how it all should be developed um it's just a it's a facility to stay to give you the freedom to be able to go play outside not be the end all and end all of the only no. thing that you do Yeah. And like, you know, I get, you know, I grew up obviously in Canada and if you're in certain locations up there, the outdoor activity in the winter are still very accessible to. Just got a fan. (laughs) Yeah. one fan. That was funny. Um, So, you know, you're accessible. You can go skiing, you can go snowboarding, uh, snowshoeing, all those kind of things, right? Like, it's fun to be in the winter if you're doing those. But then where I lived, where I grew up, it wasn't fun because it was slush and you couldn't go skiing and you couldn't do all those other things unless you drove to go to a pond to go. So in those cases, going to the gym in the wintertime, there's an advantage to that because it prepared you then to be able to go and be ready to play when the summer and spring and fall came. But, you know... I always, when you're talking about Hawaii, you know, you go down, we do those tournaments in January and Oahu is, is, is always beautiful. Maui's always beautiful. And you see these people in Oahu who get up, they're there early and they spend 45 to an hour on the treadmill. And I'm like, it's so nice outside right there. Like right there is beautiful. And you could go run and experience and stack all these other elements of health on top of each other, but you're going to stay in this moldy, sweaty lack of you know creative aspects coming into your body you're this this very dead environment and i don't know why you're choosing it but it boggles my mind how many people do that yeah it's just how they're programmed isn't it over time and how you condition yourself that that's i need to do my exercise in that room (laughs) and then i can go live my life Uh, i just yeah that's never made sense to me no it's just you can do the same thing outside but it is how I think it's just conditioning over time that that is that's my room for exercise yeah 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 absolutely um, so for you I don't want to take up too much of your time because I, I know time is valuable I appreciate it but over the next you know year or two what are some of the things that you're you think you might be interested in looking at uh, exploring about how you can improve either yourself or your client's health what's what's on that radar for you um, just to keep searching you know i, I my client, the big client that I work for now, he wants to live forever. So that's a, a, 
a, a goal of ours and, and it's my job to see if that, I can make that happen. So, you know, I'm on the search all the time now uh, to try and find new things and we try them. And does it help? I mean, it's hard to assess because we're throwing everything at the wall. Yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of fun in itself. Uh, but we narrow it down to what we think can and can't work. So for the most part, I'm going to keep searching for different things and what people, new technologies people come up with. I, I don't go hard at technologies because we have such a beautiful, pristine lifestyle that I don't want to introduce too much. Yeah. You know, Hawaii is the happiest place on the earth for a reason. Um, and that makes a big thing for your own life um, to start with. So, you know, I'll just, I'll just keep playing around with things, um, keep talking to different people from different environments and, and see how we progress. Um, you know, I'm pretty happy where I've got my lifestyle at the moment and how I live. If I can solve how he lives forever, then I'll just take the recipe for me. Yeah, too. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Makes complete sense. No, that's cool. Uh, we're going to have, you know, information in your bio and, and other stuff in the show notes. But uh, if someone wanted to ask you some questions or uh, be pointed in the direction of some of the things that you're doing, would they, is there anywhere where they could contact you or do you want people not to bother you because you're living uh, a very clean lifestyle right yeah, now? Yeah, <laughs> I live in the jungle for a reason so no one can get to me. Honestly, I don't have any social media. So uh, I don't have Facebook, Instagram or anything. So I'm pretty hard to get a hold of. Yeah. Uh, I think the only thing I do have is maybe a LinkedIn uh, page that I think runs. And there might be a, an email address on that. But that's the only way, really, that uh, I don't have anything else by way of, of I love being it. contacted. <laughs> My phone goes into hiding when I'm in Hawaii. And, uh, yeah, everyone says you move to Hawaii to hide for some reason. <laughs> My, that's mine, to yeah. get away from it all. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm absolutely okay with that. Uh, well, anyway, thank you so much. Uh, for those who don't know, we are at the World Golf Fitness Summit here in Orlando, Florida. Uh, and Dave Darbyshire, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. You're always yeah, working thanks, on man. something cool, something unique, and trying to get back to being healthy, vibrant, thriving. And, and so I always have something to learn from you. So I appreciate it. Thank you for thanks, coming on. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, cheers, man. Thanks, bud. Yeah. Injuries, headaches, back problems. We all experience physical pain in our lives. And the majority of that pain is caused by one thing, inflammation. At Luminos, we've created a safe, all-natural pain relief patch that directly targets pain instantly with no side effects. Just apply the Luminos patch directly to an area of pain. The relief can be felt in minutes and it will last all day. Go to Luminos.com right now and start living without pain today.